this is the path. Like if you want to do big things and, and you want to push yourself and you want to develop, you know, it's basketball right now, this could be a metaphor for something else. You have to, if you can become the sort of person that maybe the trial doesn't go your way, but you show up and you put forth the effort and you try your tail off and you do it the next time that something's presented to you. And the next time that somebody that's presented to you, like, I can't say for certain, but I have a feeling you're going to have a better life on this planet than if you don't become that sort of person. And so, you know, I guess it's all kind of intertwined there. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of MindsetRx and your host. And I believe you must abandon the idea of balance to reach true greatness. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. Moderation is for cowards. What holds too many athletes back is the fear of committing to their next level. What will I lose if I go all in? What will that do to my relationships, my career, my time to serve others? If you really want to be great, those are the wrong questions to ask. What will I lose if I don't take action on my dreams? That's the real question to ask. You'll lose the chance of being a true success, yes, but you'll also lose the one chance you had to be the person you wish to be. You'll miss out on satisfaction, on an adventure, on immeasurable growth. When you ask the dying what their biggest regrets are in life, it's not the things that they did that they wish never happened. It's what they didn't do. The opportunities they shunned, the hot date they never built up the courage to ask out, the decision to hide away from their truest expression of themselves. You only get one go at this life, and you don't know how long this is going to last. Today, I speak to Pat Sherwood of CrossFit Lynchpin. Pat is a long-standing member of the community who has walked the balance of going all in and of seeking balance. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and it's my pleasure to bring you this in the hope it helps you decide if you are ready to go all in. So Pat, welcome to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I very much appreciate you be, uh, having me on. My absolute pleasure, man. I've been um, wanting to speak to you for years. Um, <laughs> I set up a, an affiliate... <laughs> 10 years ago um and i didn't have the business acumen to make it work so i was like looking at your programming trying to get it involved and it, it didn't quite come through but i've been following your programming whether it's kind of intensely and very focused way but always aware of it for a decade or so oh very cool i appreciate that and i don't think many of us had the business acumen when we first started uh, out in this whole thing <laughs> no it's a yeah flying by the seat of your pants thing yeah, without a doubt. But you know, hopefully it uh, hopefully it works out, and hopefully through conversations and podcasts, you know, we can get some folks on a more efficient path and potentially where we start out on. Yeah, exactly. Man. So let's. Um, I think the way I want to do this conversation is to start off with with how you got to where you are now. Do a bit of your story arc and to kind of discuss the mentality pieces. Um, let's go before seals. Let's go kind of to how would you when you joined the seals actually. I was, uh, as soon as I graduated college, I was 21. Okay. 21. Who were your mentors up until that point? I had, I don't think I had any to be quite honest with you. Um, that's why I ended up in the military because I didn't have any mentors. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't know that you were, uh, you were in the military. Where'd you serve? I was Royal Marines. Oh, very cool. I've crossed paths with some of those individuals and I've always had the good, good experiences, quite frankly. Good. Um, no, I don't think I had too many mentors, maybe not in the, you know, the, the way that it's used these days. Um, you know, I just think I had one or two worthwhile adults in my life that, you know, maybe now would be characterized as that. But I 
now we we don't need to go down a rabbit hole already but i you know i wouldn't characterize uh, back then a worthwhile adult being a a mentor i would just say if you're a worthwhile adult you're probably being what a parent is actually supposed to be like that's not that's not a mentor you're actually doing your job which is to a uh, you know Oh, I don't know if you can hear my baby losing her mind in the other room. She must have uh, fallen bit. off That's the toy or something. My wife's tending to her. But no, it was it was largely, I guess, uh, if we're talking about positive influences way back then, it was probably my grandfather on my mother's side. Great guy, fantastic human being. And uh, he was in the military and the Navy during World War II. But that actually didn't shape any like desire for me to go into the military or the Navy because he never really spoke about it, never glamorized it, never did anything. It was just something that he had done. But yeah, he was probably high on the list. Just a just a good human being, quite frankly. What does a good human being mean? Um, he just had a as vague as it is, like a certain way about him where was very friendly, very sociable, you know, could, could get along with, with everyone, not in a fake way, but he was authentic. Like he was interested in other human beings and genuinely kind, I think like in his nature, you know, and, and that came across, but at the same time could, you know, with me as a child or, or whatever, if something had to happen, be stern or enforce certain parameters or rules, but in a way that was uh, never more, never more appropriate than it needed to be, or never more stern than it needed to be. Like, you know, always just kind of had the right dosage at the right time. And the overwhelming majority of the time, it was in a uh, discipline or enforcing the rules or keeping kids from being, you know, knuckleheads could be done in a, in a calm manner that is, you know, uh, more of a conversation than a talking to, which I think is a lost art or, you know, maybe I don't know if he had it, you know, just naturally or whatnot, but he just, he had a good way, whether it was a stressful situation, not a stressful situation. He just seemed to be cool as a cucumber most of the time. We're on to elegance already. Uh, that's, that's where I want yeah, to yeah. get to. This. I've, I've spoken like the thing that drew me, I think to your programming and to your thinking is that idea of brutal elegance it's the and the elegance i found I found this um definition of it must have been five six years ago of an apparent um an ingenious or simple problem to an apparently a uh, solution to an apparently complex problem and i was like yeah for sure. that's 100%. that's what your grandfather was displaying there it's like a complex problem how do you make a kid behave yeah yep i would agree and just you know back in the day simple humble life humble everything and just content mm. you know was with which is a, a challenging thing for people to be these days to be content yeah absolutely and then the obvious question what was it that really drew you to the military um you know i maybe i watched too many tv shows too much of the a team and chuck norris movies or whatnot but I, for whatever reason, even from just being a little kid, I knew that I wanted to go in the military and I, I had some sort of sense of patriotism or duty or service. I'm not quite sure what the right phraseology would be for that, but it was just inherently, I mean, nobody, nobody put it in there. It was just something that I kind of felt like I always knew that I was going to go in the military and do my time. And we did play, you know, games that would be wildly inappropriate, you know, these days, especially in America in 2020, we would play, you know, games just called guns and we'd play guns you know, and everybody had, you know, their favorite, you know, toy or plastic gun that was so realistic. You could have gone and held up a convenience store with it. And we just, you know, ran around in the woods and everyone just played, you know, guns all day long. And so I don't know if that got into my head a little bit as well. Um, but I just, I was like, yeah, I just, I'm going to go in, going to do my time. And as it as it approached, you know, from grade school to middle school, the idea of what I wanted to maybe start to crystallize a little bit more, and I started to do a bit of research back then. And and of course, this is you know, as a, I graduated college in '97, you know, so I was in high school in the early '90s, and so there was nowhere near as many resources available to just at your fingertips on your smartphone to just research things. 
So it was very hard to find out anything about certain areas. I just started researching the four branches in the U.S., the, you know, the Air Force, Army, Marines, and the Navy. And then in that research, I found out that each one kind of had a, a special operations or a special warfare section. I was like, well, that's interesting. So I started reading about each different branches selection process and, and where that led. And I had no particular allegiance to any of them. You know, I just knew this one to go in. And then when I read the Navy one about buds and the teams and seals and all that, it just seemed um, over the top, more challenging than any of the others, <laughs> like almost inappropriately. So, and I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do it. I, I guess I might as well try that one. And I mean, the decision was quite frankly, that simple. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't an athletic kid. I was a pudgy little, little bit overweight kid, you know, not any sort of specimen by any stretch of the imagination. And so it seemed like one heck of a challenge and one heck of a bar to reach that if I could do that, then wow, you know, I must've, I must've actually done something right. And, and that's kind of how it was. And I, I decided that that was the one that I wanted to do going the Navy route as a sophomore in high school. And then you know, focused on that the rest of high school and then the four years of college. What do you think it is about that? This is the most difficult thing that I can think of doing that drives people. You know, I don't know. I mean, again, since I was not an athletic child, <laughs> not gifted in any way, shape or form athletically. And to this day, I would still categorize myself as not gifted athletically in any way, shape or form. I was like, you know, the, the chance of success on any of them, it's probably not that high, you know, so heck, why not go for the one that seems crazy? And, and also I think probably buried in there some way was like, you know, cause it's not, you know, it's not fun being an overweight kid. And, uh, and I was like, well, if I could, if I could get myself in shape to do that, then I would, I would have just be, I should just be happy with where I'm at. And I'm obviously good to go physically and athletically and all that. And, you know, that, that would be the icing on the cake. So I think that helped make the decision. And then I started reading and I don't know which came first or second, but I started reading books. Um, any book I could get my hands on about the seals and most of the books back then in that uh, decade anyway, was about SEALs exploits in Vietnam. So I just started reading up as much as I could about old school SEALs and UDT and things like that in Vietnam. And that just, that just solidified that that was the course and the group that I wanted to be a part of. And, um, and it seemed, again, it seemed outrageous. The two things that I wanted to be when I was a kid, and everyone always laughs about this. My two things that I wanted to be was either a, a SEAL or an astronaut. Those are the two things. And then I read about what you needed to, do in school to be an astronaut. I was like, well, that's off the table. So we'll, we'll go this other route. <laughs> Different kind of intelligence. I think there's, um, it seems to be built in this, the hero's myth that we choose something intentionally. That's the most difficult that we can, a difficult thing that we can conceptualize and we reject it and we reject it and we reject it. And ultimately we have to, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go straight through it, but it seems like with good mentorship and good, potentially parental figures, but not necessarily, you're kind of predisposed, predisposed to look at the most challenging thing and go, that's what I'm going for. And you see it in the CrossFit community as well. Like when we do intake forms with the athletes that we work with, the thing that comes up time and time again is I just want to see how far I can go. I just want to see the difficulty the level that i can reach i want to i want to find my limits and truly encounter them do you think that is because i would argue the flip side of that that that's not inherent in every human being walking the face of the earth you know there's a lot of people and and maybe that's something of i don't know if it's certain age range or youth or uh, friend circles or where you grew up or whatnot because there's plenty of people i would say that don't challenge themselves out of whatever reason they stay in their comfortable little bubble. And whether that's at work, uh, social settings, you know, taking a business risk, like whatever it is, if they identify it as a challenge, they take a step back, not a step forward. And so I guess an interesting question would be those people that you seem to have seeing that on the intake form, is that somehow 
are those people just showing up to you pre-selected in some sort of manner? And are you getting in an inappropriate potential percentage of what what part of the human population loves to just read, run headfirst into a challenge? So definitely, yes. But also, we've worked with other populations before, people who just can't get themselves to the gym, let alone mm-hmm. push the, the intensity that they want. And they all have a call to adventure within them. It's about identifying that. And then we get into more complex things like self-trust, self-worth, um, confidence, belief, like all these kind of more challenging issues that are the kind of the true root of it. And it's like, they're not going towards that call to adventure, not because they're not going towards it because they don't trust themselves. It's a a self-relationship thing. Um, And if they're put in an environment which is more conducive to that and they are shown and reflected their beliefs, we find that that's when they create a change and that's where they went towards difficulty. So it would be an an oversimplification to say that most people do have that call to adventure, but they're scared to pursue it for whatever number of reasons, lack of confidence, lack of something else, but there's some sort of barrier, but most people you feel do have that call. Well, why do we resonate with stories? They're all the hero's journey at some point and, and to some level. And they so reflect- like a boring story. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and there's, there's, a, there's, a point within, there's a point within King Arthur's round table where he's looking around at his knights and um, he says- in order to find the Holy Grail, which is obviously a reflection of what you prioritize most in your life, you've got mm. to enter the woods at the darkest point to you. Um, oh, and sure. Yeah. And you've got to find your limits, your difficulty. And it's that call to adventure again. And that that is where I need to go, not that is what I need to avoid. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. And, you know, it's always dangerous to be an N of one and use your singular life experience as a reflection of what's going on in the greater whole. But that, you know, that would certainly ring true a lot of times in my life as well as, you know, saying yes to those things or accepting the challenge or doing whatever it is that happened to make you nervous may not go how you want, but it overwhelmingly yields something positive in the end and some sort of development or growth or something that you could certainly put down in the positive category and those are things even to this day, like I'm trying to instill in our boys. I mean, they just had like some basketball tryouts over the weekend and there's going to be hundreds of kids there. And again, I can't speak for your country, but here in the United States, you know, heaven forbid we make any human being feel bad at any time in their life. And so there's not a lot of like actual hardcore tryouts anymore. It's like everybody's in the team. It's like, well, it's not really setting anybody up for what they're going to face in real life in a competitive environment. So this was an actual tryout. Like there are going to be tears. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be, you're not good enough if you don't make it and you can't blame the ref. You can't blame the whatever. You didn't make it or you did make it. And that's scary. It's scary for an adult, quite frankly, but you know, but for a 10 or 12 year old, it's scary. And so we had just had some conversations of like, look, this is the path. Like if you want to do big things and, and you want to push yourself and you want to develop, you know, it's basketball right now. This could be a metaphor for something else. You have to, if you can become the sort of person that maybe the tryout doesn't go your way, but you show up and you put forth the effort and you try your tail off and you do it the next time that something's presented to you. And the next time that somebody that's presented to you, like, I can't say for certain, but I have a feeling you're going to have a better life on this planet than if you don't become that sort of person. And so, you know, I guess it's all kind of intertwined there. There's something built into that as well about how safe your kids feel generally, mm-hmm. like generally in a, in a family environment, in all these other kind of ways, like, and also their relationship with effort as opposed to outcome. And mm-hmm. if they are seeing the outcome as a reflection of who they are, not who they are currently, but who they always will be in a right. very fixed mindset way, that's when things get a little bit squirrely. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, there's, there's all sorts of just, there's all sorts of lessons and trials and tribulations out there and try to prep these little people for uh, life on planet earth. So in light of going into challenges headfirst and often not getting what you want, but getting what you need, 
where have those moments come in your life? Um, let's see where I, where I got what I want, but not what I need. Where you got what you need, but not what you want. Where you went oh, into something thinking, okay, that's that's the outcome I want, but you didn't necessarily get it. Um, geez, you know, I, I almost everything. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, I, I there's probably more in that category than in, in the other category, right? Because no plan survives contact with the enemy. So you might go in thinking that, well, I'm going to do this and it's going to go this way and it's going to be the outcome. And, and rarely, it is, even if you succeed at whatever it happens to be, whether it's going to buds, going to school, doing a motorcycle trip, getting married, having a kid, like all of those are challenges. And even if you came out on the other side, I bet it didn't go precisely how you thought it was going to go, especially if it was actually a truly arduous, difficult, lofty deal. Like there's just going to be so many nooks and crannies and twists and turns that are unforeseen. You're going to get knocked down and go back up. But, but you come back out at the end um, and, and you're better for it. And I, and I like, like I said, I would, bet, I would put almost anything into that category. My time in the military didn't go how I thought it was going to be. I've got three kids. That's a whole heck of a lot tougher than I ever thought it was going to be. And whatever romanticized view I had of what that is, that's not reality either. Like that's different as well. Like everything, everything is a little bit off course from what most of us have in our head. Um, but that's okay. I mean, and again, that's, that's life. And there's, and there's, and even though none of it went perfectly according to plan, you just adjust. You you know, you intake information as it as it comes into your eyes and ears, and you keep adjusting the plan. You know to to hopefully come out on the other side, and and you learn from it, and you dust yourself off, and hopefully you're wiser for it the next time some other challenge comes out. I know that's a vague answer, but I honestly, I, I can think of very few things in my life that went according to plan. Like that, I was like crushed it, nailed it, went exactly how I thought it was going to go. <laughs> I was like, nope, nope, it's a that's not how life plays. Life doesn't play fair. It seems like you have a good relationship with the unknown. In as much as it seems like you have a good relationship with the unknown, in as much as when some people reject the unknown, like we were talking about earlier, it's like this is beyond what I currently understand and know how to operate in. But this level of unknown, this like this this basically area where I don't have expertise, where I don't have competence, where I don't have the ability that i need to operate in it i'm comfortable being uncomfortable within that yeah i guess i guess so um it's always tough casting that magnifying glass on yourself to figure stuff out i guess so i mean you know because it's funny i would not categorize myself as adventurous as funny as as, as that might sound um and and maybe it's just different seasons of life you know and right now i'm in the the fatherhood season of life you know because you know we'll do stuff you know whatever and you know know, my wife will laugh and she'd be like you know because right now if it's cold and wet outside i don't want any part of it i'm going inside and she's like how are you a seal and i was like well it's probably (laughs) it's probably why i hate being cold and wet quite frankly like i'm over (laughs) it now i don't know you know that was a different phase of my life when i was just you know, willing to uh, endure and misery um, for where I was at that phase in my life. And I'm not in that phase of my life anymore. Now, if I so choose, I can just walk back inside and it's warm and dry and fantastic. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, but it's, it's funny. I think it's a blessing that is kind of why, you know, before we started this, we said you're getting married, I asked you how old you were. And everybody, you, you could be a, you already sound like you're far more mature. So you're 30. Mm-hmm. So like you're far more mature at 30 years old than I was at 30 years old. I think I was still an absolute knucklehead moron at 30 years old. And uh, I think it was probably a blessing that I didn't have children in these responsibilities until later in life, because I don't think I was ready for it. Or maybe I was still in that very much different phase of adventure because uh, having kids in a family is certainly an adventure, that's for darn sure. But um, 
I got that other stuff kind of out of my system, if you will, you know, in my, in my earlier years. And that's probably a very good thing because that probably gives me the ability to now be able to focus more on the needs of others and put those needs of others ahead of myself, ahead of my own wants, ahead of my own desires and, and serve them. And I don't think I was that person 15 or 20 years ago, you know, uh, and you, I would assume that you deal with this. If you know, you speak to a lot of athletes that are trying to be the best in the world at something, whatever it happens to be. And you're not going to be the best in the world. at something living a balanced life. You're going to be highly selfish for lack of a better word. It's going to be about you and your goal. And you're not going to be like, you know what? I want to be the absolute fittest person on the face of the earth. And I'm going to serve the community 20 hours a week. And I'm going to do all this other philanthropy. And no, you're not. You're going to be maniacally dedicated and focused on what your sleep needs to be, what your nutrition needs to be, what your training needs to be, what your whatever. And it was kind of the same deal, you know, being a SEAL you know, they're just not giving those things away for free, you know? And so to achieve that goal, it was at that phase in my life, a very selfish endeavor, you know, whatever, whether you want to call it call to adventure or whatever, but everything else came second period, end of story. And everything else came a far second. And I probably wouldn't have achieved it if I didn't have that decision going in. And it's also the same stuff. I think with, again, probably a lot of the athletes that you talk to, it's, you want to be the best in the world that there's going to be a sacrifice that comes with that. What was the turning point where you considered balances or a more balanced life as an objective that is worth pursuing? Jeez. Mm. You know, I just think, again, I'm not lying. I look back at where I was even at 30 years old and I shake my head. I'm like, gee, you're just a late bloomer, Pat. It took you so long just to pull your head Isn't out that of the purpose throat. of life? To look yeah, back and think, oh man, I've gone so far since then. Goodness. You know, so, you know, there's a couple of great phrases. I can't I remember who, who has credit for them, but one of them is like, if you're the same person that you were 10 years ago, you've wasted a decade, you know? And uh, I don't know what it was, the turning point. I, mean, I got hurt in the military. And so that, you know, what I thought, again, no plan survives contact with the enemy. What I thought as a young man was going to be, I'm going to do my 20 years in the Navy. I'm going to have this you know, glorious career. No, you know, retired at 20 years plus, and et cetera, et cetera. And then I went in there, you know, broke my pelvis. And that was basically that, you know, and that was a, I'm not going to do that job anymore. And so that was a hard left turn, you know, that life threw at me. And so that, that made me kind of change my focus a little bit for a while. And, then, you know, stumbled into CrossFit, did that for a bit, but I, I don't think I actually, I don't think I really started trying to find more balance until I started to work on myself. And I don't know why I just started to do that one time. I don't know if I just one year decided, well, you should probably grow up or, or mature a little bit and start just doing some worthwhile reading or podcasts where it happened to be, you know, which got me thinking about what other people have done on this planet, how they conducted themselves, integrity, values, morals, things of that nature, you know, what's the legacy that you're leaving behind and all that. And, um, and that probably was one of the larger turning points that kind of changed my mindset a little bit or changed my priorities, should I say. And again, luckily I got a lot of that other stuff, you know, out of my system when I was young, younger. So how did you break your pelvis? It was a, uh, it was a training accident. Um, on, we were at Fort Knox, Kentucky doing some land warfare training. And let's just say without diving into the story as to, as to what happened that day, uh, it was a very bad fall and, um, broke, broke my pelvis and went to the hospital and got, plates and screws in there and got those plates and screws in there to this day. If will leave my little friends forever. And that was a, I did stick around in the military for about two more years after that. It took about a year just to be in physical therapy and learn how to walk again and do all that, all that fun stuff. Uh, but then I, 
got hurt in my platoon. So my first platoon. So I wanted to finish a platoon start to finish. I didn't think I'd be able to live with myself. So I joined another platoon, did, did the platoon start to finish all the work about the training, the deployment. And at the end of all that, it was just really obvious that if I had somebody under my command that had the injury that I had and they had the pain or limitations that I had, I'd be having a hard conversation with them about, I'm very sorry that that happened to you. I don't think that you should do another platoon. I don't think this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. But that person was me. So that was the, uh, the, the turning point of like, well, I'm going to have to go out into the old civilian sector see what happens that's the there's a couple of things that like actually let me take a few steps back one of the most challenging things that can happen to us is that our identity is threatened we like we build up this idea of like this is who i am and i'm a seal or i'm a royal marine or i'm a crossfit coach or i'm an astronaut um i'm any one of these things and therefore i know how to interact but Mm -hmm. when you go from i'm probably at the fittest I've ever been and toughest I've ever been to I'm rehabbing have a year's worth of injury or, or however it comes about and all the mm-hmm. um, pain and discomfort that comes with that. One of the other things that has hacked is like your sense of identity, like who you believe you are. Sure. It's very it's, humbling. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? It's very, I mean, you, again, you go from being what you think is, you know, one of the top dogs to your like, I need help using the bathroom. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's that's quite a uh, that's quite a a difference or a change right there. Or you know, you go from doing whatever you used to be able to do physically, you know, rucksacking and jumping out of planes and diving, and blah blah blah, to now you look at like a, a, a flight of five stairs, and you're like, ooh, five steps. Is it even worth it? You know, or if you know going from a seated to a standing position or, you know, any of that tying my shoe, which to this day is still miserable. Like getting, getting my sock on my right foot is absolutely miserable every day. It's just, you know, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things, you know, you, you don't, you just play the cards that you're dealt, you know, but I think, you know, the, the humility that comes along with an injury like that, nobody escapes that. And that is probably another example of, you know, I can't remember the exact question you asked earlier, but circling back to like that, that didn't go according to plan. (laughs) You know, my plan was to enter the seals and then to one day leave the seals, the stuff in the middle, I can't really control, you know, I can control entry and exit and I entered and I exited and the stuff in the middle, of course, didn't go how I thought it was going to go. And it may not have been what I want. Here's we go. Here's the link back. It may not have been what I wanted to have happen. But maybe in a wild way, it's what I needed to have happen. So yes, I would say it's a great example of what you asked earlier, because I do think in a wild, crazy, serendipitous, I'm not sure if I'm using that word properly, way, that is what I needed, but I just didn't know it. Either the shot of humility, the shot of mortality, and that huge turn in the road at a point in my career that I didn't think was going to be a turn led me to all the other things that I've done in my life since then that I would not have done had I stayed in the military 20 years. Um, probably wouldn't have this family, probably wouldn't have done what I've done with Cross, I probably would have met all the people that I've had. Like I've, None of that would have happened. I would have been busy working up and deploying, working up and deploying, or maybe I'd have got killed. I mean, quite frankly, for having an honest conversation. you know. So that, again, wasn't what I wanted or what I saw, but it was probably what I needed. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free, you just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. Now let's get on with the show. And then you get another identity shift when you stop, when your whole life stops being about the military and who I am and that, and then you're a civvy. 
Mm -hmm. Although I resisted for a while, I got out and I didn't know what, um, what I wanted to, or what to do. Cause I was not a great student in college and have to have like some highly sought after degree that companies were just going to be beating down my door for. So I went out and all I knew how to do is carry a gun. And so I did contract work overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan for a few years, you know, for some government agencies. And that was all right. You know, it was cool. It was fun for a while. You know, at that phase in my life, I would describe it as fun. Wouldn't describe it in this phase of my life as fun, you know, but then, you know, we used to have conversations over there with, with like, this isn't something you're going to do the, your whole life. You know, like we're doing it now at this time in our life where we have nothing to lose and we have no families and like, you can take huge, massive risks, you know, um, but this isn't going to be a forever thing. Um, and you can't spend your money if you're dead, even contracting, you know, pay decently. So what's next, you know? And so I, I stopped doing that after a few years, even though I didn't really have a plan of what I was going to do next. And that kind of led me into CrossFit. And that's when that kind of, that phase started. So again, it's weird just always a weird twisty turn in life, you know, that gets you to maybe where you're supposed to be, but it's not a straight line. So first Murph, uh, workout was Murph, right? First workout was Murph. Yeah. And again, everyone's always shocked when I say this, but I just didn't think it looked that bad. Yeah. When you've been doing running pull-ups and sit-ups and, and squats for your, for the you last the seven deal? years or nine years. Precisely. Yeah. You know the deal. So it's, and, and, and in, in the realm of the military, two one mile runs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's laughable. I mean, really, when's the last time you did that? <laughs> and so, and we did tons of pull-ups and push-ups. I mean, just my goodness. The only thing we didn't really do is squats, air squats. I didn't do that. So I was like, all right, well, one part of this workout I'm not familiar with, but can't be that hard, can it? And of course, it just demolished me because like so many other people at that point in time, uh, you know, it's funny, people that get into CrossFit these days or are younger these days, I think they grow up not knowing anything else other than either CrossFit or functional movements and intensity and mixed modality training. And of course you would sprint and then you touch a barbell. Why wouldn't you do that? Like nobody used to do that. That was not a thing, period, end of story. There were, I mean, you split things up, you would do your run. And then later on, you'd go to the gym and lift and you'd take a minute between each set of bench press and you wouldn't do anything. Like there was no mixing of things. And so to go from right from running to pull-ups to push-ups to squats and back and forth, like it just demolished me because even though I had exposure to all of those things, I had exposure to them in separate isolated experiences smashed together, which is again, classic CrossFit methodology, right? If you think you're going to do your lifting on one part of the day and your cardio on another part of the day, and you think you're going to be able to do lifting and cardio together magically, it ain't going to happen. And I was living proof of that. I imploded. That's that's what we want. And again, the um the decision to go further into that after encountering your limits is what sets yeah, some well, up. I I guess so. I mean, my simple in my simple reptilian brain, and especially as like a former team guy, I was just like who I you know I thought I was in really good shape. And I was compared to the average population, but just probably not. Greg Edmondson at that time was some other monster who was doing CrossFit. And at the end of that workout, I was I just thought to myself, if there are people out there who are good at this, I'm not, that's not acceptable. I, I need to be one of them or else they're going to make me look silly. And that, and that was, I mean, it was just that simple of a decision for me. It's like, this is, this is not acceptable. And, and that was proof positive regardless of my emotions, the factual data that I saw at that time was my training fell apart. You can feel however you want to feel, but it was, it was plainly obvious and that was not acceptable. So time to rewrite the plan, right? You get more input, you get more data, you learn from it, and then you make a little rudder adjustment. So I'm glad you brought up emotions there because I wanted to get to like, can this topic at some point. When you're thinking about programming, how much are you thinking about the subjective and how much are you thinking about training energy systems and the more quantifiable measures? When you say subjective, what do you mean? Give an example. What kind 
of feeling am I going to have for that? Because people have different different intensities and are more accessible to different elements. Like, say, some people have trained what we like to call interoception, so the the ability to feel what's going on inside you. They're very aware of that. Some people shut it off. Some people are very aware of their thoughts or their mm-hmm. overthinkers. Some people are highly aware of their emotions. Um, so a blend of those three. You know, maybe subconsciously it's it's all in there. But, but at the same time, uh, I don't want to say that I don't care how the athlete's feeling, mm-hmm. but I almost don't care how the athlete's feeling. I mean, if because if you looked unemotionally, like some sort of master programming Android at a block of training or week of training or a month of training. And that, and that unemotional analysis based upon, you know, how the body was moving, how often did we go below parallel? How often do we pull from the ground? What have we been light, moderate or heavy? How have the rep schemes been? What are the time domains been like? And all of that helps paint a picture of not only where you've been, but where you should go. What have we been neglecting? What, what should occur next? And obviously, it should go without saying that that emotionless robot is also paying attention to what is the appropriate amount of dosing for the athlete, because we're just not looking to beat the stuffing out of everybody every day. Like that's, that's not good. You have to stress and stimulate the system where you're not going to get an adaptation from it. Too little stimulation, you're not going to get an adaptation too much. Well, you're just going to be sore, tired, have no motivation, not going to walk into the gym. So that's not effective either. So I was trying to find this beautiful symphony balancing act of right where you need to be, right? And, and sometimes you're going to be a little higher, a little low. Nobody nails that every day. And if they say they do, they're lying. But if that robot looked at all of that and it came out to be very obvious that tomorrow's workout should be seven by one deadlift, well, then I don't care how everyone's feeling because what tomorrow should be is seven by one deadlift. And that's where we're going to be, or it could be an eight by 200 meter sprint. If, and if I paid attention to people's feelings and emotions, we would never program three, one mile repeats. Not a, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> no one's feelings are ever going to say, Pat, please give us three, one mile repeats. That would be so awesome, but it might be what you need. And if that's what you need, that's what we're going to do. And it doesn't mean that you need to go out there and burn the house down and set some crazy PR or whatever it happens to be, or it's a seven by one deadlift. It doesn't mean that you need to, you know, you need to just set a new lifetime PR, but it probably means on that day that based upon everything that we've done recently, what would really benefit the human organism is pulling heavy off the ground. And so we're going to pull heavy off the ground and heavy is a relative thing based upon how you feel that day, how you slept last night and a whole bunch of other factors that are subjective to you, but objectively we need to pull off the ground. Do you think there's utility in maybe coming at it from the other direction thinking, okay, I don't know, high rep kettlebell swings make me feel these awful sensations and I don't want to train and I just, uh, I'm all, I fill with self hatred and my self talk and criticism and then, okay, so that's something that we need to work on. We need to change that um, relationship. That I think is, oh, you think that the human being might need to change their relationship with the movement or the workout? Yeah. Or that influences the, what you need to do that day? Well, I think there's probably over time we're thinking, okay, what do we need to, what do we need? How do we overcome these limitations? How do we overcome these, the the kind of the self-talk and using an exposure therapy model? it'd probably be a start small and build and build and build and build and build. And until you have that um, tolerance. You know, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm answering your question. So certainly um, correct me afterwards or tell me like, Nope, you totally missed it. But I think, I think there is a very interesting thing about programming and, and using the programming. Okay. Because if you created not that this is possible literally 
the world's most perfect programming. It was unquestionable. You had a bunch of just scientists and lab coats and they're just checking out your, you know, uh, metabolic pathways. You're like, it's just nailed it. It's just perfect. My goodness. And everything like it's amazing. And then you give it to a hundred people. Well, the mere fact that you're giving it to a hundred people, those are a hundred different people, a hundred different lives, hundred different ranges of emotions, hundred different sleep patterns, hundred different responsibilities, stress levels, Everyone's hamstrings are a bit of a different degree of soreness after the sprints, even though everyone's are sore. Some people are just super tight in their shoulders. Other people aren't tight in their shoulders. Like you have the whole spectrum. So what I think is there's the journey of the programmer to become a better programmer, and that's never going to stop. And then as far as I'm concerned, and I try to be really big on this with Lynchpin, is the journey of the athlete as well, that's using it and applying it to their daily life. Um, and the larger that your community grows, like if you've got 10 people that you're training in your garage, you might really luck out and everyone's kind of similar, but that, that, that chance gets lower at 20 people and lower at 50 people and lower at hundred people and much lower at a thousand people, right? I mean, you've got a divergence. There's what I think is a very important area is the individual athletes continual evolution and understanding of how to apply the CrossFit methodology to their life. And whether that's my programming or anyone's programming, whatever it happens to be is true. This got programmed on this day because it makes logical sense as to why we should do it. However, I'm feeling this on this particular day, and that could mean a range of things. It could just mean, you know what, um, whatever, we're going to do grace, 30, 30 clean jerks of time. That's what we're going to do. And it could just be, then you know what, Ugh, yes, I know that's what we're supposed to do, but I know grace is like a short and sharp workout, and I'm just not feeling fire today. So is today's workout a failure? No. You're doing grace at 70% is still doing a wonderful functional movement, taking an object from the ground, you've got an explosive hip opening, you're getting it overhead, there's midline stabilization, your brain's involved, your lungs are going on. Who cares if you PR or not? Who cares? You did something meaningful and worthwhile and just slowing. I think a lot of the dread that can come from CrossFit is you know how it feels to try to PR Fran or Helen. And it's a unique human being that wants to feel like their entire body is on fire it's a unique human being. And most people don't want to do that every day, especially if you're a regular person. And so just ratchet it down a bit. I mean, a lot of times it's the intensity that is just, ugh. do a casual grace. Nothing wrong with a casual grace. It'd be fantastic. And allowing yourself a casual grace or several casual workouts a week probably keeps your cup full keeps you feeling good, keeps you not being burned out. But then you walk into the gym four days later and for no apparent reason, you're like, you know what? Feeling froggy today. I'm going to get after it. I'm going to burn this thing down. Well, yeah, because you didn't unnecessarily just beat yourself down. You know, there's a, there's a difference between uh, training and testing. You know, like you can allow yourself days like the workout, the programmed workout is just training. Just because it's a seven by one deadlift, doesn't mean you need to pull a D, a PR deadlift. It just means that today, what makes sense is lifting heavy from the ground. That's it. And it could be relatively heavy. It could be 30 pounds under your lifetime PR. Here's something the CrossFitters need to hear. Who cares? Who cares? What matters is that you moved your body in an intelligent way based upon how you felt that day and what made sense based upon where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. That's what makes sense. PR, don't PR? I actually really don't care. And I actually think if every time that you walk into the gym, you walk into it with a testing mindset, testing my deadlift today, it's got to be a PR. Testing Helen, it's got to be a PR. You won't play that game for very long. You will burn out. It's not sustainable. If you're a super amazing cyborg, well, you'll pull it off for longer than most, but you will hit the brick wall at some point in time, be it physically, mentally, emotionally, or all three. And so, again, the programming is one thing, 
but the continual education of the athlete to let them know that it's okay to make these decisions. It's okay to modulate your intensity. It's okay to feel a certain way and just realize that you, you don't have to run the clock today. Again, almost heresy in the CrossFit world. Don't run the clock. Just go do Helen at whatever pace you feel like it, and you'll have no idea what your time was. And if that's what you need today to be a happy camper in the gym, and that keeps you showing up tomorrow, that's a fantastic thing. And it took me a long time to realize that because I used to be like, it's an all or nothing. It's a letter of the law, nothing. And, and that's not that's not sustainable. It's not going to treat people well in the long run. And so all these conversations about modulating intensity, giving yourself grace, allowing yourself to really take rest days, not running the clock if you need to, training versus testing, all of these things allow the individual athlete to apply themselves properly to whatever the workout of the day has to be. And then also a continual education about scaling and modifying workouts and how wonderful and beautiful and effective and, and important that is. You know, if the workout of the day is grace, I don't go overhead that frequently because I've got terrible shoulders from military and motorcycle wrecks and things like that. And so there's a very low chance that going overhead is going to feel good for me. If the workout of the day is grace. I might set the barbell at 135 pounds, pull out a little flat bench, get a pair of 50 pound dumbbells, and then I'll just do 30 power cleans. And then I'll walk over to the bench and do 30 dumbbell bench press. And so I, I got in some power cleans, but instead of going from the front rack to overhead, I still get in my pressing. I just didn't press overhead. I pressed in a different direction that didn't cause me joint pain. And it's not the exact same, but it's 100% close enough. Instead of me trying to force myself to do precisely what the workout was today, because it's that or nothing. And now my neck and shoulders feel terrible. And I overarched my back to get this bar overhead, but heck the workout of the day was great. So I had to do it. That evolution and that more nuanced understanding of how to apply the programming to your life and that it's okay. All of that is wrapped in, in my opinion, to programming into managing a community and to educating athletes so that they're not just doing this stuff one year from now, but they're still doing it a decade from now. I think there's a close synonym to a testing mindset, which is perfectionism mindset. It's like, this is the idea. This is the, this is the, yeah, the conceptualization that I've had that this has to meet and it's these exact standards. It has to be this thing. And if I do anything other than that exact performance, Oh, then yeah. I'm a failure. Um, and like that's one of, again, one of the things that we see is the, one of the biggest problems. It's like, I've got to maintain this standard. I've got to be seen as this type of person to everyone else and to myself, because if I don't, then my relationship with myself is a bit funky and I'm not kind of, I'm not as good as I could be. And maybe, maybe right. I'm not good enough as, maybe I'm not ever going to be good enough. And that's what comes right. out. No, I mean, uh, agreed. And what's funny is, you know, you could probably list more of these than I could. It's, you know, this is kind of your world, but you know, how many factors go into a performance, right? From the obvious ones of sleep, nutrition, stress, recovery, to all the more subjective ones of how you're feeling, emotional, family and friends interactions. I mean, all those are massive, massive factors that affect the human creature. And they all change each day. They all fluctuate. Sleep's a little different. Nutrition's a little different. Everything's a little different every single solitary day. And so let's just say there are 50 of those factors. And the 51st factor is seven by one deadlift. So now this seven by one deadlift comes up one month later. Well, the only fact, now I know you've been working out another month. So you should say, well, I've been working out another month. It should be stronger. It should go well. Maybe, but you've got 51 factors, one of them being the actual workout. That's the same. The other 50 are different. How in the world do you expect the same outcome? If 50 out of 51 factors are different, it has to be the same or better. Maybe, but I, I think that's an unrealistic, <laughs> an unrealistic deal. The only thing that's the same is the workout. Arguably, everything else is a little bit different. Maybe better. Could be for the better. But you might have had a terrible week at work. 
stressed out the whole time. You've been in a foul mood and sleep's been affected. And now it's the deadlift again. If you PR, great, count yourself lucky. But if you go and thinking that has to happen, I don't think you're going to have a pleasant experience with CrossFit for very long. Yeah, you can only control so much. And it's essentially your effort. And that's pretty much it. And some days, 100% effort doesn't look like 100% effort the other days. And that's why focusing on effort over outcome is, I, I think, maybe the only way to do it. Like, sure, the outcome's important. It guides you. Like, am I progressing or, or regressing? Mm-hmm. Um, but am I putting full effort? That's that's what gets you that progress if you're in the right condition. Showing up, a lot, a lot happens when you just show up. And if you have to modify it a little bit, your whole back a little bit, or like I said, I'm going to do dumbbell bench press instead of going overhead, like you show up. And if you show up every day, you keep putting another brick in the wall and you're building the wall again and again and again, like you're going to have a solid wall after a while. You know, you don't want to have, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting deal. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article that, um, that you put together with morning chalk up um, oh, 21 wow. pitfalls to avoid. Um, and like the ones like we've, we've spoken about, like doing too much jump volume. I think that's a key one. And again, like from a mindset perspective, I'm thinking, okay, that stems from fear of not being good enough, not valuing yourself. Like if, if sure. more work equates to more progress and more self-worth and there's, there's things in there like intensity was spoken about rest days. Um, and then we get down to the bottom and there's, there's, few things around like sprinting and scaling which again really important but the two pieces that i'm well it because they align to my personal interest that peak them the you link your performance in a workout to your worth and sure. you're comparing yourself unnecessarily um when did you begin thinking about pitfalls in fitness in those kind of terms i don't you know, I don't think I've had any actual like really creative original thoughts, you know, ever in my life. I think I've just been lucky and fortunate enough to be in various occupations or whatnot that I had the benefit of interacting with a huge number of people that were probably sharper than me. And I just kept my eyes and ears open, tried to pay attention to what seemed to be commonalities among various things. And so I think just after, you know, even just doing like level one seminars, I mean, I did a couple hundred level one seminars. There's 50 people at each one of those. That's 10,000 people all around the world hearing all their different stories. And, and if you're everywhere from Asia to Australia, to Germany, to Tennessee, to Canada, and people are expressing the same highs, the same lows, the same struggles. And you have to think those are relatively universal. You know, they're not just culturally or specific to that geographical region so there must be something to it and then you know you train older athletes you train younger athletes and you even hear some common things there you talk to games athletes you hear common things there and it's like okay these these must actually be some things you know and one of them is like you know that comparison is the thief of joy you know or linking your self-worth to your workout times like that doesn't just happen to some games champion it happens to just regular people with a 11 minute Fran, really, you know, people, so I think some people are just, they unfairly judge themselves by some sort of metric that they should not. And so just kind of putting it on that list there, you know, hopefully somebody reads and goes, ah, yeah. mm, Yep. Guilty. I shouldn't probably do that. Nice. What do you do on a regular basis for your own mindset and mental health? Oh man, not as much as I should. With our our youngest child, she's about to turn one here in less than a week. And so for the last year of my life has been highly disrupted, to say the least. I bet. I bet. Previous to that, and she's a very lover, she's my daughter, but she's a very difficult child. And I'm not just saying that, like she's a very she's had some stuff going on with like colic and other things, and she's a very challenging child. And so it's been very, very, very put 20 more varies in there, if that would make me sound intelligent, um, very time consuming, which almost links back to something that we said earlier. If I'd had this child earlier in my life, I probably would have jumped up a bridge by now because anything that I want to do, I don't do anymore with regards to leisure. Ask me if I've seen a movie, the latest TV series or Netflix series. I have not. The answer is I have not. 
Um, who's going to the games, what just happened in quarterfinals? I have no idea. It beats me. Like I don't have that. That time has just poof vanished from my life. It's it's work, it's family, and that's about it. And other than that, it's try to squeeze in a workout. Now, you know, we've got two other kids who are 10 and 12, so they're relatively a little more self-sufficient. Previous to our daughter, um, I was quite dedicated to just even on a tough day, I'd read 10 pages a day, just every single day, read 10 pages a day. I've been doing that for years and years and years. And, and generally nonfiction was something that hopefully would stimulate my brain and get me thinking about something worthwhile that I would walk away a better, a better human being from. Um, and that was probably the biggest single thing. And then, you know, it could be various podcasts, whatnot, but the daily reading that that's been around forever. And I miss it greatly. I haven't been able to do the 10 pages, um, in a while. I guess I could get up earlier and do it right now, but we're not exactly getting a bunch of sleep either with the baby. And so it's this juggling act of, you can't have it all. So I'm just, I'm in just at a phase in my life right now. That's, that's challenging. It will come back eventually, maybe this year, maybe when she's two, I don't know. And I can't wait because I do miss it so much. But other than that, even as this has been good proof of concept with this young girl in our life right now is even as crazy, hectic whirlwind chaotic as some of the days are, I still managed to get in probably 99% of all my workouts, you know, or I'll, I'll sprint into the garage and do it. And that is the biggest thing for my, my sanity, probably. Like, I don't really care if I PR my back squat or Fran right now, this phase of my life, like getting in there, moving my body as both something which is good for my longevity so that I can play with my kids and be active for years and years and years and be a fantastic grandparent one day and all that good stuff. That's why I walk into the gym. But then also, for just the pressure release, mental stress of the day, just to get a flood and cascade of hormones going. You're like, ah, didn't want to walk in here. Actually didn't want to walk in here at all. Glad I did. And, you know, talking the talk and walking the walk. A lot of times when I walk into the gym, it's going to not maybe look exactly like the workout of the day did because if I get an hour, great. I can go in there and actually really do a five by five back squat because it takes time to really warm up and build up your working sets to get your working weight and take three to five minutes rest between each. Like it takes a full hour. I might only have 25 or 30 minutes, so that ain't going to happen. And so I have to actually be okay with coming as close to it as I can, replicating the stimulus as best as I can and knowing that that's okay for that day. And so I've been putting my money where my mouth is uh, this last, this last year for sure. Nice. What books in those 10 pages of day have been most, uh, or provide the biggest shifts for you? You know, I probably should have known that you're going to ask that. Um, I've got a bookshelf right there that I'm looking at. Let me, let me look another good, another good way to come at this is what, uh, what books have you gifted most to other people? You know, <clears throat> let's see this one. This is going to be, is probably identify me as a nerd. Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. 650 pages on basic economics. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the one you've gifted most. Oh, uh, well, I'm a huge Thomas Sowell fan. Yeah. Uh, he speaks in the economy and all kinds of other things. And, and this is a, a, fantastic, uh, a fantastic book. Another one. Um, oh, there was one. Where, where was one? I got a Nelson Mandela book right there. I got Atomic Habits. I've got um, uh, some Malcolm Gladwell stuff happening. All just really, all just really, really good thought-provoking, thought-provoking stuff. But yeah, anything about Thomas Sowell, you can't go wrong. And Malcolm Gladwell as well, I really appreciate. And there's one I'm trying to figure out, but I can't. It's from Frankel. What's the book that Viktor Frankl wrote? That's such a meeting. Yeah. Yes, thank you. It was escaping me for right now. That was that was if that doesn't get you thinking, I don't know what will. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. so things like that. You know, there's that fantastic book uh from Shackleton, Endurance. That mm-hmm. was really good. Uh The Boys in the Boat. I can't remember who wrote that right now, but that was a fantastic book. So 
Oh, he's just, uh, you're going to be nostalgic now. I used to just love getting up in the morning, cup of coffee, quiet house, read the 10 pages. It was a fantastic way to start the day. It will come back and I will appreciate it all the more. Maybe the, uh, the approach is the same way that you're approaching training with a one page, not 10 pages. You know, potentially, yeah, potentially. So it's, um, again, you just, you do what you got to do when you're in, you know, sometimes you don't get to choose your hand. You play the hand you're dealt. Yeah. Priorities shift. Um, yeah, I've been experiencing that too. I'm going to let you get on with your day. Um, by the way, basic economics has been recommended five more times on this podcast. No, it hasn't really. <laughs> that's I was going to say, that's amazing. <laughs> that's the first time we've had that. Yeah. It's, um, I am a very much a closet nerd. You know, there's, a there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there that we weren't taught in school, you know, and, and well, I don't want to, prolong the podcast. Thomas Sowell has this great quote that basically says, it takes a great deal of knowledge just to realize your own ignorance. Hmm. You know, like you just have to figure yourself up first and you're like, oh, right. I've been running my mouth about that for a long time. I didn't quite know what I was talking about. And that book on economics was very eye-opening. You know, it's just basic. It's not advanced, just basic economics. Anyway, everyone's got an opinion on what should happen with the economy, what the government's doing right or wrong, and you know, everyone just pipes up on Facebook or Twitter or something. And and you know, I've got an opinion as well. And then I I read that book and I was like, oh, that's how those systems work. Hmm. Wish I'd have known that before I just ran my mouth like an expert for years. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's some good stuff out there. All right, I'm definitely going to check that out. That's um, something that's going to go on my Amazon wish list, and it will be purchased in the next few months. So, looking forward to that. Maybe I can take that on my honeymoon, although uh, maybe not. <laughs> I could, I could be weird. You could be like, "Why did you recommend this?" You have to let me know. No, I'm looking forward to getting to that. I try and read at least one book that everyone recommends. Um, at least start it anyway. Uh, I'm going to get that's going to be my, that's going to be my number one. Then I'm going to force you to do it. I swear, I'll let you know how it gets on. I appreciate right, it. You so much where can people find out a bit more about um linchpin and your work and follow follow you a bit more uh our well the the website is just crossfitlinchpin.com instagram's crossfit linchpin my personal instagram is sherwood215 it's profoundly boring i'll tell you that not an amazing follow but um but that's about it that's, i think people can uh can track me down there <laughs> awesome man thank you so much for your time Yeah, you got it. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Limitless Athlete Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes and follow us on Instagram too by looking for MindsetRx. That's MindsetRxD, where we'll also be sharing a bunch of mindset training advice and tips. 